0: Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Unnecessary Roughness.
1: Looking over the middle, hockey collapses, he takes off, to the goal line, touchdown Stidham! Six the hard way! Unnecessary Roughness, on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM.
2: Here's your boy Q.
1: And here we go, kicking off hour number two of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920 as we come back in with the sounds of now Denver quarterback, Jared Stidham. But uh, hey, shout out to Jared. Great job, Jared. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what happens when you get creative and you start wondering questions. Yeah. Peek behind the curtain before that open played. Jared said, Now we're going to find out why this, this hotkey was said, don't play. <laughs> well, now we know why. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was kind of it was kind of one of those things that the don't play it should probably have given you the idea that, yeah. Yep. Probably shouldn't play it. But hey, you live and you learn, right? That's how we do things around here. It's Raider Nation Radio, 920 Unnecessary Roughness. Join us now on the phone lines is a guy who gets it. He knows what's up. Gilbert Manzano, SI now, Monday morning quarterback, and he's the reason for the topic that we threw out there on the uh on the do text line today at 69187 keyword. R&R. Gilbert, thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate you. And I'll tell you, man, you inspired the whole show today by the 32 teams and 32 days that you uh, that you put out. I was reading the one on the Colts, and there were so many categories that went into it. I, I was fascinated by it, and obviously I was reading it late night because I texted you late night. It was like, man, I need to get you on the show <laughs> to talk about it because it was so good. What kind of went into the thinking, the overall thinking of putting this together and the different categories that you came up with?
2: Yeah, first of all, Q, uh, thank you for the kind words there because sometimes you feel like uh, people aren't reading the story. So uh, I I feel like I'm reaching for uh, content in the dead period, and that's the way I'll start off there. Like we wanted to do something during the dead period, and it turned out to be something, you know, for us uh, you know, as a team at the MMQB. We're like, okay, you know what, let's really assess every single team in the NFL after, you know, you know, the schedule release, the free agency, the draft, like everything is done. I know we just saw Frank Clark get uh, picked up by the Broncos. There's still mm-hmm. moves going around, but for the most part, it's pretty much settled. So we wanted to assess every single team uh, and just to kind of help us get to the training camp report days, because it is going to be a little slow uh, the next, you know, you know four or five, six weeks. So, uh, and yeah, and it's a little tricky because, you know, we based it off, you know, projected win totals. You know, obviously you guys be on Las Vegas, you're familiar with the win totals there. Yep and just kind of working our way up from 32 to uh, you know number one. And then the way we kind of did it for the tiebreakers and the wind toes was just kind of just alphabetical order. That way nobody's mad at us. But then like at the end we, we gave her a projected record. Then, you know, it's funny to see how, you know, how, how similar and how off we are with, compared to Vegas. And, and I think for me, especially in the NFC, I have a lot of teams uh, you know, flopping. But overall, I think it's good to kind of put everything together. And it's good to have people's opinions and, and just figure out er- everything and how teams are looking before our training camp.
1: And the categories, or some of the categories that I chose for the show today was position of weakness, position of strength, and then X factor. But there was more. There was more topics and more, more positions and, and groups that you had in this article. And like I said, I was reading the one on the Indianapolis Colts how difficult, or which
2: which what what category is the
1: most difficult to to come up with an answer for?
2: You know, the, you know, there's some teams where like you know it's tough to say you know do they have a strength of position and, and you see like one really good player on there like an all pro and like, you know what that's enough for them to to get a strength of position but overall it's a, it's like a dismal uh, a dismal roster. I think I found myself you know asking about the Rams the other day. I'm like okay. Uh, they have a lot of holes in the, on the roster, but they do have Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald, so just pick either defensive line or wide receiver. But it's still a pretty kind of weak, you know, position overall. But, so, you, so it kind of also puts it in perspective, like okay, you know what, they have some dudes. You know, it's a it's a top heavy roster, but you got to build the back end. The ones that you you find yourself saying very quickly, oh, that's that's the one right there. Uh, like maybe Denver could be you know the secondary. They got Patrick mm-hmm. Sutan and Justin Simmons. So. Uh, you know, you try to figure out what's the strength, what's the weakness. Like, I think when I did the Arizona one, that was, that was that was an easy, for sure, number 32 team, the Arizona Cardinals. There was a whole lot of weaknesses, but then you find some some gems in, in the tackle spot. They have three very good tackles there. Uh, and, I, and one of my favorite ones is definitely a breakout player to watch. Like, you start kind of figure out, okay, how, what goes into finding a breakout player? Do you look at PFF? Do you look at just, you know, the basic stats? Do you look at the film? You know, who's about to pop in 2023? And that's kind of always the hard part. And I, and I told myself, you can't pick anybody who's been in year four waiting to, to break off by then you kinda you, you kinda know already it won't happen.
1: Right. They're almost there. They're almost there. They're <laughs> they're ready to pop. Again, Gilbert Manzano is our guest from SI Now, Monday morning quarterback here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty. One of the categories that you had, and I didn't use it on the show, was uh biggest offseason gamble. How much fun are those and how often do those actually pay off for teams?
2: Yeah, those those are actually very fun, but the hard part is like trying to stay away from quarterback. I feel like every team had like a gamble on the quarterback. Either you know like the Raiders, they they, they bet on on Jimmy G, mm-hmm. or the Colts, for example, they they bet on uh, Anthony Richardson and there's, and Derek Carr with the Saints. So there's so many quarterbacks you try to stay away from that. But you know, I guess an example for me was uh, you know I think uh, well that I probably shouldn't release that one because I think that was coming out Friday, the Houston Texans. But I'll give you kind of an, a, a preview, like. You know they gave up their first round pick in 2024 potentially Kayla Williams and Drake May to draft Will Anderson Jr. That might be one of the biggest gambles in 2023 in the NFL because everybody's gonna gun to get those two quarterbacks in next year's draft. It's gonna be a whole bunch of tanking, uh, and then you're the Texans. They're probably being a bad team. You're asking yourself, why did we do this? Unless Will Anderson goes off and becomes very dominant player, like maybe like a Michael Parsons, and you're not thinking twice about it. Uh, or even like the Colts, for example, for the one that came out today, you know, you finally gave up from going from Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan and Jacoby Brissett and Phillip Rivers to finally say, you know what, after Andrew Luck left us, it's time to actually hit the reset button and go for a young quarterback and try a different way. So, uh, you know, those are always fun to kind of see the gambles and, you know, everybody has a different kind of outlook for how how they gamble, and I keep thinking of more quarterbacks like Jordan Love and the Packers, but uh, there's (laughs) there's (laughs) other teams that, that try differently, like maybe, you know, like a D- Detroit going all in on the secondary players and things like that.
1: How often do you find yourself using coaches for these different categories as you're putting these pieces together?
2: Yeah, like, you know, like maybe like the, the New York Giants one is going to come out maybe in, uh, in next week. Like, you know, Brian Dable, like he was such a great coach, you know, coach of the year. And then you start looking at the rosters, like, ah, can he do it again? But, you know, you should give a team, you know, at least a couple wins for having a good coach. And, and then you start looking. at, Well, he's also in a very stacked NFC East, and also they're they got a really crappy schedule. Like one of the one of the ones that I like was like the the, tough, the toughest stretch stretch category. And like, okay, mm-hmm. you start thinking like that's a good roster, but they're probably gonna lose four or five games right here in October. So and that kind of really derails somebody's season. So I think coaching should be a factor. And like like you know even with the coach Shane Steichen, I, I really like him as a coach, but he's a first year coach, and mm-hmm. when you pair a first year coach with a rookie quarterback and Anthony Richardson. History shows you're not going to win your first year. So it, it does happen sometimes, but, uh, you know, you want to, you know, give the coaches their credit, especially as an OC, but you never seen Shane Steichen as a head coach. So, you know, that, that's kind of like the flip side. You know, there's some good, some bad about it, but overall you, you really got to you know, consider the coaching staff. How much do you think
1: Coach Steichen could take what he did with Jalen Hurts and kind of help develop Anthony Richardson along the way, knowing that they're two different quarterbacks?
2: Yeah, you know, that, that's the reason why I really, really, you know, was, was thinking they they got it right when they got Anthony Richardson because of that track record. Like you you gamble on your coaches. Like every coach says, you know, hey, you bring them to my staff and in and our system, we're gonna bring the best out on that player. But not everybody does it. And I think when you have a track record like Shane Sykin, because what I was there when he did it with Justin Herbert, like if it, it Sykin and, and Anthony and Lynn and Pep Hamilton worked there together, to kind of have this great system for Justin and Herbert who, who had to play on the fly because they were all they were all in on Tyrod Taylor. You know, you want to have the, that kind of historic rookie year for Justin, uh, Justin Herbert, um, and, and, and Shane Steichen was a big part of it. And then you start thinking, well, maybe it was more Pat Pavelton and maybe more, you know, the the, the the Keenan Allen and the Mike Williams you know, personnel group. Then he goes to Philadelphia, does it again with Jalen Hurts, and I think Nick Sirianni, one of the biggest compliments he could give Shane Steichen when Nick Sirianni said, you know what, I'm done calling plays here. I got to oversee so much. My guy Shane Steichen, you could actually call the plays. I trust you. And once he got full control, he developed that scheme for, for Jalen Hurts, and, and that's why he became uh, the head coach of the Colts. So, but again, I think being a head coach, which Sirianni learned, is, is a whole they, is a whole lot that goes into it. You really got to trust your coaching staff because you can't be in multiple places at once. you try, but you know, I, I've seen some working head coaches try that, and, and it just it just it, falters. it hurts them. Like even like a guy like Brandon he tried being the defensive coach of the Chargers. You know, calling plays. It hurt him, but he had to figure it out, and that's where you saw some promise in year two, so... A lot goes into it, but I think psyching his track record, that's the reason he got the job uh, in 2023.
1: Gilbert Manzano, SI Now, Monday morning quarterback, is with us here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. I know you spent a lot of time covering the Chargers. I wanted to ask you about them in general. They brought in Kellen Moore to be the offensive coordinator. Brandon Staley, I feel like that that was his last little olive branch. Like, okay, if you don't get it done now, you'll probably be out. How much do you think that Kellen Moore is going to help that Chargers offense and, and help develop Justin Herbert Or yeah, even further?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on Brandon Staley, and like he's already fired you know when he came in originally he had you know the three coordinators and he already fired the special teams coordinator year 1 he fired the OC year 2 and he can't really fire himself cuz he's calling the plays on defense so uh but also his DC Ronaldo Hill went on to Miami I don't know about how that kind of played out there but it just feels like okay I got I got to get my guy and and go all in and and, and the reason the way you kind of save your job if if Justin Herbert becomes the MVP or whatever, because it's kind of a down season, he had injuries, I get that, but it becomes a flat-out, you know, like Joe Burrow kind of season, you can't really fire the guy, so uh, I think for Brandon Saley, he, you know, maybe he went up to Tom Telesco and Dean Spanos and said, hey, you know what, whatever it costs to get Kellen Moore, go get him, because that's the way we could do it with Justin Herbert, And he, and I think one thing you learn as a coach, you know, you try to rely on your friends to help you out and kind of you, you, you go off the networking that you know and, and it makes you feel comfortable. But I think you get too attached. And I think with Joe Lombardi the last two years, like, yeah, it was working, but he, like, you have, you know, the, the I always go back to his name, but Anthony Lynn, when I talked to him, he called Justin Herbert a stallion. And I'm like, yeah, this guy, you, you got to unleash him and, and and just go ahead be down the field. And with, with Joe Lombardi, that never works. So I think seeing what Kevin Moore did, with the Dallas Cowboys, like you know, yeah, they struggled to be to win games in the postseason. But if you look at the, the stats; they're always leading the league in in yards or points or whatever. So I think that was kind of like, like you mentioned the, that that last branch to make it work. And I think that was a good sign for for Brandon Staley. And then the Chargers are kind of not being hyped as much because they didn't really do too much outside of getting Kevin Moore and Eric Hendricks. And maybe that's a good way. That's a kind of a good thing for them because when they're you know more of a forgotten team, they tend to do better.
1: Right. Yeah, no doubt. They get hyped up each and every year and then something happens. So maybe it's great for them to fly under the radar. And Gilbert, I wanted to ask you about the rest of the AFC West as well. I mean, the Raiders, they're in second year now with Josh McDaniels. So being, being out at the OTAs and minicamp, looks like they're moving around a lot faster. They, they have familiarity. There's a new head coach in Denver with Sean Payton. As you mentioned, they got Frank Clark, Russell Wilson. How do you think this AFC West is going to look this year? You think it's going to be that real competitive division that we expected even a year ago? Or do you think it's going to be business as usual the Chiefs the Chargers and everybody else
2: you know it's tough because in the NFL it's hard for these teams to sustain a winning kind of organization for this long and I know we saw with the Patriots and but you know outside of that you know it's tough and with the Chiefs you think okay seven division titles consecutively like it's got to end eventually and we all kind of assumed it a year ago and that didn't happen but you know you know, the, the more I look at the Chiefs roster, and I do all these stories, and like you look at all the hits that they get in the draft in the back end, like uh, like the Jerry Sneed in the fourth round, you know, or even McDuffie, I know he's the first round, but like you keep reloading in the draft, and that's mm-hmm. what they those are the teams that keep staying up top. So, you know, if the Raiders, you know, you know, you know, strike gold with Michael Mayer and, and Tyree Wilson, like you know, that helps you compete. You know, Jimmy G stays healthy and he's familiar with the coaching staff. That's why they brought him. And we're not, you know, trying to get Tom Brady down from the owner's booth to play quarterback. (laughs) Then that could be a good sign for the Raiders, too. Maybe it could be a sleeper. You know, I'm not high on the Raiders because I am worried about their defense. And the whole Jimmy G thing kind of scares me off. But when you have, you know, players who are familiar with your system and you want to do your way, you know, that's not a bad approach either. Sometimes it could be stubbornness and and you don't try new things. But, you know, I can see the the, 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 the benefits there. And then with the, with the, the Broncos, is the weirdest one. Like, the Chargers, I think the Chargers will be okay because they could stay healthy and they're just running back with the same crew and, and they'll be okay, I feel like. I don't know how far they'll go, but I think they'll be okay. With, with the Broncos, though, it's kind of like Sean Payton was waiting for the Chargers' job or mm-hmm. the Cowboys' job and it didn't open up. And it's kind of like, all right, Denver, what do you got? I don't really want to work with Russell Wilson. He doesn't fit in what I believe in. Uh, He plays too much outside the pocket. He doesn't play too much into the system. He's making turnovers. He's losing kind of the deep ball accuracy. And you're you're Sean Payton. Why why are you going there? Maybe and you can't even get rid of the contract. uh, You know, it's just crazy how much money they gave this guy. Uh, So it could be like it's like a forced marriage with Sean Payton and the Broncos. And then after that, like hey, it's not working. walmart people can we just rebuild it and tear it down and do it my way so it's a very interesting dynamic there in denver but you know knowing the competitive side of champagne he's probably not trying to tank at least not going into the season final question for you deandre hopkins is out there on the open market
1: i believe he's visiting with the tennessee titans and then dalvin cook we found out about his release earlier today at our eventual release Uh, so he's going to be out on the open market where do those two guys what's your gut feeling on where those guys land
2: yeah, you know, a week ago, it seemed like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins going with the, with the Chiefs or the Bills, but then the Bills signed Leonard Floyd, and then the Chiefs are kind of out of money with, Don, with Donovan Smith, the left tackle there. And then you see DeAndre Hopkins taking a visit with the Titans. I, I thought you were trying to win. Like, it's not going to work with Tennessee tonight. They're not going anywhere. I, I don't right. care what you tell me. But they do have money. So, And, and I think what we learned from the, the OBJ thing was like, I know the Ravens are, are, are also a good franchise, but you, he wanted to pair, you know, a winning, one winning organization, but would also get in the money. And obviously, the Baltimore, you know, blew him out the water, and the Jets had no chance there. So they got OBJ. So I think maybe D. How was trying to find something in the middle there. You know, it would be nice if he goes to like Detroit because you know they're going to miss Jameson Williams for the first six games, and, and they're kind of a team on the rise. And uh, I don't know how much money they could throw at him, and I know some teams are also thinking like he lost a step, so that could be an issue there. So uh, it's tough to tell with with, with hop but I think with Dalvin Cook, it just I think he had an IG post not too long ago that that uh, he's on a field with the with the Miami Dolphins, like not not with the Dolphins, but the field. Uh, in the background, you know it's a it's in Miami, so uh, maybe a little subtle, uh, you know you know preview there where he's going, and he is from the area. Uh, And I think they were the ones that were interested in Davon Cook, uh, you know, before they they released him. So. I put my money in Miami, kind of an easy choice there, but you never know. Players like to follow the money, so whoever pays up, they go that way.
1: Yeah, that's real. Chase the money. Always chase the money. You can follow where it's it's going. You can always find the path as long as you follow the money. Well, good stuff there. Again, Gilbert Manzano, SI now Monday morning quarterback, on Twitter at GManzano24. Uh, I know what you're working on, the 32 teams in 32 days, <laughs> but anything else that you got going or any teams that you're going to be dropping that we should uh, be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, well, maybe some some stories that came out like the the fun ones. You know, again, when I say fun, it's more like killing time in the off season. We <laughs> did a we did a, the redraft of the 2020, 2021, 2022 drafts. I got the 2020 and 2022 uh, doing a redraft after one year was pretty tough, but it, it kind of you. I think you saw enough to to actually make a list. So check that out if you want to uh, get triggered about my uh, my my changes there. Uh, and then I think tomorrow kind of a tough one to write that is going to come out, but it, I, I think it was good. Uh, my top ten special team players in the NFL, special team players don't get a lot of love in the NFL, so it was cool for me to do, but I don't want to neglect anybody. So you got the long snappers, the punters, uh, the kickers, the, the core four players. You love to hear that term in the training camp. Who's the core four guy, uh, punt coverage, punt return, things like that, returners. So so many jobs to narrow it down to ten. It was tough but it was cool to highlight 10 of them and really kind of do more research on them.
1: I like it. I like it a lot. And I even like the piece that you're talking about with the re- redraft in the 2020 draft class as the Raiders only have one guy left from their entire 2020 draft class. <laughs> yeah. And that would be a Robertson. So I'm hoping that when you did the redraft, at least you gave the Raiders some guys that are actually still on the team. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I gave them Derek Brown from the Panthers in 2020. So they do need help in the interior. So that can yep. help
1: out. Yeah. No, that would, that would be just fine.
2: <laughs> that would be <laughs>
1: just fine. Gilbert, Great stuff, man. Thanks for making some time for us. Uh, your piece was fantastic. I appreciate you. We'll talk soon.
0: It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio.
1: 702-365-9200. Also, the Don't Be Broke.com text line is 69187, keyword r We got David J. Roth from Defector coming up in a few minutes, but you could definitely chime in on the show. Let us know what you think. What's the Raiders' position of weakness? What is their position of strength? And what is the Raiders' X factor? Got a text from Raider Mike from Colorado. What up, Raider Mike? He said, Q, position of strength for the Raiders. I'll be different and go kicker Daniel Carlson is extremely clutch for us, as yeah. is A.J. Cole in the punt game. That's fantastic. I'll just pause right there. That is one hell of a strength. That was great. That was a really, really good answer, and, and that's true. Right? Those are t- two of the best kickers in the game right now. Daniel Carlson, A.J. Cole. I ain't, I'm not saying they're the best of the best, but they are right up there. There's one thing that you know. When A.J. Cole goes out there, 99% of the time, he's going to get off a really good punt. A lot of times flip the field, which is much needed. And Daniel Carlson, they call him Cash Carlson for a reason. (laughs) Right? I mean, I don't really need to say anything else. They call him Cash Carlson for a reason. So that's really good. Uh, I like that position of strength. Position of weakness, he'll say, he said, I go on. I'll go D-line until proven otherwise. We added a new addition, but can't trust it just yet. So he's still looking at the the pass rush. The guy's uh, trying to stop the run. The guy's getting after the quarterback. He's talking about... Crosby, obviously he knows Crosby is solid, but Chandler Jones has to have a better season. Wants to see what the rookie Tyree Wilson is going to do, and I think more importantly, see if you can get some pressure from the interior from the defensive tackle position. So that's a position of weakness. And he said X factor. I'll say Michael Mayer in the offenses. If the offense is successful, he'll be a big part of it. And I do think that Michael Mayer is going to be a big part of that offense, especially in the red zone. Uh, I like that one a lot. So Raider Mike from Colorado, way to um, way to hit that one out the park, man. That's that's what happens when you're in that that elevation. Right. I can hit one out the park myself. I'm up there in Colorado. Right. It's just it's just how it is. But no, that was that was a really good one. I do like that. I'm a home run hitter. You didn't know that, huh, Jared?
3: Uh, You're the one who keeps trying to get us to go out to batting practice. So I assume that you you're uh, I I assume you've. You've got some skills that you're uh, you're trying to show off.
1: I I love I love hitting. I love playing baseball in general. I never hit home runs ever. Never hit home runs. And the first time I hit a home run was in John McClain's little uh, you know like celebrity softball game that that he invited me to years ago. And we, it was at Baylor. And I hit a home run. And that was the first home run I'd ever hit in my life. Right. That I didn't run the bases and just get inside the park. That's how I used to hit home runs. Was just get inside the park. But. I hit that home run and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I don't have to run fast. <laughs> when you get older, you gotta change your game, right? You can't be a base dealer anymore. You gotta you gotta hit diggers.
3: So my sister played Division I softball. Nice. And I one of my favorite things. Where'd she, she go? Where'd she go? Uh and Casey.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
3: Um she literally would say but if I hit it over the fence, I don't have to run. Right. No, you're right. And the coach She's would go, right. oh, okay, well, if you if you could do that, yeah, just go ahead and do that.
1: No, that's awesome. That's uh, Hitting home runs is fun, so uh, there, there's that. Uh, also, getting back to the don'tbebroke.com, text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Uh, Elliot from the 805 says, hey, Q, biggest strength, wide receivers, most rounded and best uh, depth on the team. Weakness, you nailed it. Linebackers, I believe in Diablo. He just needs to stay healthy. I don't know about Spillane. X-Factor- secondary especially quarterbacks can Hobbs bounce back is a me for real is Shelly gonna have an impact we talk about turnovers it starts with these guys so there you go Elliot from the 805 breaking it down uh biggest strength wide receivers weakness uh also talking about linebackers like I did and then the x-factor uh secondary and then can Hobbs bounce back that's that's the big question and I'm telling you and that's why I said the x-factor is a healthy Nate Hobbs if he's healthy I'm not saying that he's going to create a ton of turnovers, but just having that physicality out there and that want to and that ability to tackle that goes a long way. And you saw how effective Nate was when he came back from injury last year against the Chargers at Allegiant Stadium. He came back and he had that physicality, and really the Chargers' second or their uh, their wide receivers just didn't have a day. They didn't, and a lot of it had to do with the physicality of Nate Hobbs. So if he can come back healthy, stay healthy throughout the course of the year, he could definitely be a big time factor in that Raiders, uh, that Raiders secondary, so I like that. That's a really good one. Uh, you can, again, like I said, hit us up at any point, 702-365-9200 and the don'tbebroke.com text line 69187, keyword r We got David J. Roth from Defector coming up. We're going to kind of scatter shoot with him, so we'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back with David. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. To unnecessary
0: roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio.
1: 69187 Keyword RNR. That's the don'tbebroke.com text sign. You can respond to the question or questions that I threw out there. Ask for the Raiders' position of weakness in your opinion, position of strength, and what you believe the Raiders' X Factor will be. Again, 69187 Keyword RR. Of course, we'll get your phone calls as well when we don't have a guest, but we do have a guest right now. Excited about our next guest, David J. Roth from Defector. David, thanks so much for your time. Definitely appreciate you giving us some this afternoon here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty. And you know, I wonder. Jared told me, and this is, and, and you'll have to back him up or not, right? If if you choose not to back him up, that's okay. But he told me that you're really good when it comes to you know, like where is this player now? And I thought about the Raiders and their roster and thought, wow, they got a lot of players that are where are they now? So is that the wheelhouse for for David?
0: Yeah, I mean, for better or worse, I mean, obviously I could have chosen, if I had had the opportunity to make a decision, like I would have uh, wanted to have like a trade (laughs) or uh, a skill of some kind. But just the fact that I remember like every ad bat that Benny Agbayani had with the Mets when I was in high school or whatever, <laughs> that's what I got instead.
1: I like it. I, I really do. And it, like I said, just thinking about the the Raiders roster and some of the players that, you know, we had a show not too long ago where I was talking about guys that you thought were going to be real big-time players that ended up not being that guy. Like Ricky Dudley was one of those for me back in the day. thought Ricky Dudley, the tight end out of Ohio State, was going to be fantastic. And, well, not so much. But, I mean, at least he hung around the league for a while, he even won a ring in Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, the Raiders are always one of the best organizations for that because that was like Al Davis had like a truffle pig's nose for guys like that. He loved tools and he loved, um, you know, just like taking big swings on stuff. But he didn't necessarily always do, like, the, you know, sort of the fine-grained work, which is how you get. I mean, like, Darius hayward Bay had, like, a really long NFL career. Like, you got to give it up to him. He played 10 seasons or something. Mm -hmm. But that, to me, is, like, the perfect of the Al Davis guys, where you just sort of, like, saw a tape of him running really fast in a straight line and was like, bring him to me.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, and he was – I remember that that draft as well. That was the Michael Crabtree draft. Should have had Crabtree, ended up with Hayward Bay. But like you said, he played a long time in the league. He was really good at what he did, but he wasn't good for where he was selected. Yeah, and, like, what he wound up
0: doing was, like, being a really good special teams player or whatever, which is not – I mean, it's like the fourth pick of the draft or something terrible like that, right? Like, it was super-duper
1: early. Yeah, it was really early. I want to say it was either, like, seven. I think it was seven, and then Michael Croucher went number 10 to the 49 or something like that, but it was uh, way too high. But you're right, it was based off of a speed. Uh, another guy that I was talking about the other day that I was, again, a big fan of, but he just never really fit into the system with the Raiders once John Gruden took over. That was Jeff George. The dude could throw it. I think he's still throwing it a mile, but he just didn't win a lot of games. But, man, the dude could throw the rock. George is cool, man. He's he's a guy
0: that you'll meet people, like old head types, that still go to bat for him, I think, just because he had, like, the greatest arm that anybody had ever seen I mean, obviously, there's, like, more to being a quarterback than that. Like, I remember um, Kyle Bowler was a guy that was infamously, actually, another, like, Raider yeah. come out type. They were like, you know, throws it through the uprights from his knees on the 50-yard line and stuff, which is really cool if you could do that. It's just like when he was required to throw the ball to Ronald Curry 10 yards away from him, that was like way harder.
1: Right, right. But he did do a hell of a job with James Jett. Man, he made James Jett the guy. Like, I mean, Jett had James the speed. Jett. Remember James Jett? He used to hit him the all the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> That one of
0: those anytime there's a receiver that's got a name that sounds fast, that's also Al Davis stuff, right? Yes, there. Like the there's not <laughs> you can't have a, a guy named James Jett or like Stanford Route was another guy that was a Al Davis dude where you're just sort of like this is the sort of name that like even if if your mind isn't failing when you hear that you're like, Well that's either a receiver or a defensive back, right? Right. And it was. And I think that's just like he didn't even he wasn't in the active part of his brain. When he made that pick, he was just sort of like route goes fast, right? Comes on team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Route. That's when they went and they double dipped that year in uh, in in the defensive backs. They got Fabian Washington and Stanford route, and then there was some quarterback that ended up being kind of good, named Aaron Rodgers. That was just I don't know one spot behind, and it was just there. Yeah,
0: my God. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's one of those ones where he fell so far that it's like you'd imagine that like every team had a chance to get mad about it. Before he had his personality transplant, and they all were like looking back on it and being like, "Oh, maybe we dodged a bullet there."
1: Right, exactly.
0: The Giants. Again. When I was the Giants are the team I grew up cheering for, and that is a team that always had a great deal. They were uh, super into like certain types of players, mm-hmm. and Kevin Boss is one of my favorite examples of this. So just like they loved like um, big white tight ends that ran <laughs> short routes and always looked like really flushed, like they just come in from like a really cold day. <laughs> And there's teams that will have different guys like that that they will sort of plug and play. Like, the Raiders always liked cool, fast guys, which, like, given the choice between, uh, you know, watching a bunch of flawed, like, 4-3 burner-type dudes or just a generation of Kevin Boss guys, I think the Raiders fans probably came out better in that deal than I did.
1: <laughs> probably, no doubt. David J. Roth is our guest here from Defector here on Raider Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So who was a, a, another player that may have stood out to you that you thought, you just knew he was going to be a really good player, that just turned out to not be that guy?
2: Are
0: we sticking with um, NFL only, or uh, can we branch oh, out? Because there's a whole, rant, like, basketball dudes I've deluded myself. Over oh, yeah, go get, get
1: creative. Things. It's all good. Go ahead and get creative. All right, uh, you can tell me if I'm getting too creative here. Do you have any
0: memories of Stromile Swift as a basketball player?
1: That name is familiar, but I do not remember. But that name is familiar.
0: He was like the type of guy.
1: Him, Anthony Randolph was
0: like a more advanced mm. version of that. This okay. was like one-year college dudes. They're still making this type of player. They can just all shoot threes now. Stromile Swift was almost seven feet tall, faster than anybody on the floor, dunked everything but had just he got drafted? And he was like eighteen or nineteen years old. He played at LSU, which is like the place to go if you want to spend one year in college and not learn how to play basketball during that year. And he just—it never really happened for him. He was a good enough athlete that he played for a really long time. But that, like, kind of—I always feel like I want to bet on that level of athleticism, like eventually winning out. Because mm-hmm. that's—I mean, it, now the game is like much more built for that. Right? Like they—they they would, they would have just taught him, you know, like to be a perimeter defender or something like that. But at the time, it was like you could dunk or you could do, you know, little post-up baby hook type things, and no one ever taught him to do that. So if he wasn't dunking, he wasn't really helping you very
1: much. You know, now that you started talking about the NBA growing up as a Warrior fan, and this is well before they were a really good team, I'm thinking about guys like Chris Gatlin or a Donald Foyle or, you know, that. Oh, yeah. I like the Donald Foyle just because of his look, because he looked like he he might cause a turnover just by his look. Like he would make you mess up just the way he looked yes. at you big, mean-mugging guy who
0: apparently was, like, the nicest person that anyone had ever met. Like, I think he, like, went to medical school or something. Yeah, and he NBA did. His NBA career yep. was over. He had, like, a really... But, yeah, I remember Gatling really well because Gatling was a net at the end of his career. And he had... There's a That's a type of NBA guy I always love where they, like, always seemed to be wearing a bunch of knee pads. It's like someone that you could maybe see yourself being in a pickup game with except for he's, like, 6'10". Right. He had that kind of, like, always a little bit exhausted... Uh, like, with his hands on his shorts, like, <laughs> during the game. But he was a good NBA player. He made all-star teams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. His uh, post-NBA life has been He's a little uh, too, like, real estate fraud friendly. But that's also <laughs> a <nice> thing, <laughs> that that's, player. thing. That's, co- <laughs> right. that's a whole other
1: conversation. That's yeah, a whole other conversation. Man, I'll tell you, back in the day, the Warriors had so many... I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole a few weeks ago, but we were going down and talking about all these former warriors that I used to watch. And even when they made the draft day trade for Antoine Jamison, when they had Vince Carter, I mean, that started it all off. I knew things were going to be bad when they went and gave up Vince Carter and brought in Antoine Jameson.
0: Yeah, like you can't win that trade. I and mean, Jamison again, guy had a good career. Like I, my friends that are Wizards fans detest him, right? And I have no idea why that is. I mean, because his fans,
1: head is cocked to the side when he runs. People, <laughs> <guess>. You can't <laughs> trust know. a guy who, whose head is cocked to the side when he runs. That yep. is just—he's basically giving you
0: the body language equivalent of like I am thinking about like doing some like correspondence classes like oh, afterwards. Right. Like I'd really rather be like doing small engine repair than playing for the Warriors at this time. Right. Ray Ratto, my coworker, mentioned um, on our podcast earlier this week that uh, he compared um, Jordan Poole to Monte Ellis, and he meant it in a disparaging way. And as a not, I'm not a Warriors fan, but all the Warriors fans that I know, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on this, are super ride or die for Monte Ellis, even though he was just Monte Ellis and like the team was never going to be good if he was their number one guy. Are you like a... Are you a (laughs) pro-Monte Ellis or
1: anti? You know, it's funny that you say that because I liked him when he was the only talent on the team, right? And then then when they got Steph, I immediately saw he didn't like Steph. And I knew – I can see it then. I was like, oh, I forget what game it was, but we were here in Vegas. I was with my mom, and we were sitting there watching the game, and they won in overtime on a big shot that Steph hit. And everyone was celebrating but Monte. Like, he walked to the locker room, and I told my mom – that's not going to work. They're not going <laughs> to yeah, be able to coexist. And then he was shortly traded after that.
0: Yeah, it's one of those moments, too, where like I, somebody that cheered for a lot of bad teams growing up, like, the best player on a bad team is going to look good just because everyone around them is not.
3: Right. But the
0: all the times that I have like talked myself into it, the one that I always, in terms of getting that wrong, because teams have to make that choice, you know, and it's like if you decide that, like, Steph Curry's too small, it's Monte's team, and you're, like, taking Curry to the curb... And like, you never work in basketball again. As a Nets fan, I was a big uh, Stefan Marbury guy. I was very excited mm. when they got him from the Timberwolves. And my initial response to the deal when they, they basically traded him and, you know, some roster flotsam for Jason Kidd. And at the time, I was like, "That's a terrible deal. You can't do that." Like, have you seen like how much athleticism Marbury has? Like what he brings to the floor. I'm like, I hadn't really seen Jason Kidd play. All I knew was that he had he had dyed blonde hair at the time. I did not take him seriously. <laughs> and it's just it's a different type of dude. Like, Deron Marbury had a good career too, but that's not like <laughs> if you get that choice to make, you make it the same way one hundred times out of a hundred, and it shouldn't even be difficult. It was just it was difficult for me when I was twenty two.
3: Shout out! I still have my Starberries. Um, Were
0: they like five yeah. dollars?
3: Uh, Fifteen, yeah, that sir. Was a
0: great value sneaker. I remember the um, the Starberry store, the flagship store, was in the basement of the Manhattan Mall, which is maybe the most depressing spot in all of New York City. It is. Uh, it really fit. Like his commitment to great value <laughs> was really uh, resident there.
3: So, uh, David, we've got guys who went to culinary school in the NBA finals and it's based on last night's game it doesn't look like this is going to uh, go the Miami Heat's way what did you think of last night's game
0: I mean it was sort of in the same way that like I was so impressed with the Heat in game two I was even impressed with them last night they just never stopped coming as like just effort wise they're super game they just don't it looked like I mean, the point that my coworker Luis uh, pius pumar made today is that they just look like smaller, and they were. I mean, that, like, Jokic is a load, and they don't have anybody that can really move him around. Like, on the roster, they don't have anybody that can move him around. But the, see how good Miami had to be to win game two by three points that they basically had to shoot 50% from 3. They've done that a bunch in this playoffs and that's crazy, you know, like that they've done it 6 times, you know, after doing it 5 times all through the regular season. That's insane for a team to be able to put that together. But the Nuggets when even with Michael Porter and uh Kentavious Caldwell-Pope both being just straight bad mm-hmm. for the first 3 games, the Nuggets look perfect. Like those two Like, just the actions that Jokic and Murray have off of each other. The Heat are great. They are defensively as, like, locked in. Even in losing, I think that they generally play great. I just don't know that there's, like, an answer for it. It's cool to see the Nugs be this good. I, like, I would always thought they were a fun team to watch. They were, like, kind of a league pass favorite of mine for years just because, like, I adore watching Jokic. And seeing everything uh, more or less working together the way that it is is, like, they're – they're fun. Like I feel like that's the sort of team that could, you know, turn a middle school kid who's on the fence into a NBA fan. Well, that, that's and the thing. Not, you know,
1: that's the thing about it. I think that the Nuggets are fun for the NBA because people that are casual fans are actually getting to see how good they really are. Right? I mean, they they, yeah. they they haven't been the team that everyone, like I said, your casual fans going to say, oh, the Nuggets are playing. Let me tune in. But now they might. I mean, hell, the Joker and Murray go for a triple-double last night. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I still have the Nuggets in six. Am I crazy for that one? Is it going to get wrapped up sooner?
0: So I initially had them in five. I think that there's definitely that the E could win another game. I don't think that they could win two. Right. I just don't think that they have the firepower. And – this is. I'd also sort of like. I didn't really notice it until last night. Like, uh, Jimmy's not really getting off the floor very high when he jumps right now. Like, I think his ankle is pretty trashed mm-hmm. for the season, and it feels like the the bubble year for them. You know that it's right. like this incredibly heroic run to get there. So much of it is on him, and you know. And also, I think Bam has played really pretty well in this series, given how much they ask him to do. They're just, like, a couple of guys short. Like, it's not a question of, like, Tyler Hero needs to be there. It's like, I want to assign one more very good NBA player to that roster. Anybody. Could be anyone. Take Laurie Markkinen or whatever. It's just, like, they need a third dude that they don't have right now. But they're so tough. I mean, I could definitely see him winning another game. But I I think the Nugs seem too good. They kind of seem too good all year. I think I just was not used to thinking that about the Denver Nuggets, so I never really let myself do it.
1: You think uh, Lillard, you think Dame Lillard ends up in Miami? He he mentioned him now. I saw that rumor, right? That's
0: kind of, I mean, that would be a really interesting fit for me because I think he could do anything. Like, I think that what he's been asked to do or sort of tasked with doing in Portland doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to be the guy that takes that shot of, like, Super Bowl dominant presence that he's been, especially the last couple of years. There's just not a lot of other talent on that roster. But, to, I mean, it's just hard to imagine, right? He's only played for one team. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to, like, see it in my mind's eye right now, and I'm just getting, like, a 404 error on him wearing a Heat jersey. I think that would be a great fit for them. I think I was thinking more along the lines of, like, a big guy who can play inside out a little bit and just sort of let Bam facilitate more and not have to do as much of the heavy lifting inside. But, like, I mean, Lillard would make any team better. And right. I think, like, it would be – this is the other thing, too. As annoying. as like, heat culture and all the talk about it is, like, it's real. Mm-hmm. Guys improve there. They get in the best shape of their lives. Like, and the magic that they've been able to work in terms of, like, just turning all these guys on two-way contracts into, like, real NBA role players – I think it means it, like it gives them some flexibility under the cap, and it gives them what to deal. Like those are really valuable players. Not to say that you're going to be trading, you know, Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent for Damian Lillard. It'd be expensive, but there's they've, they've really got something there. Like I, Miami's not my favorite place. I've never liked that team, but
3: I admire them a lot. All right, I have to do this. Um, so there's a player that played for both the A's and the Cubs. Cubs are my favorite team. I. Q, you're an A's fan, right?
1: I am. As long as they stay out of Las Vegas.
3: <laughs> Todd Van Poppel. I remember him. What I do love you? Todd Van Poppel? You do? He
0: was a sh- he was a shadow Met. He was. I remember him mostly. I mean, I loved him in the sense that he was like the prospect of prospects, and it didn't work out for him. But he still somehow managed to squeeze a big league career out of it. He was, I as I recall, was I mean, he was like the first pick of the draft by the A's, right? Like he was like the. I remember him mostly as a baseball card did that was, right. like, yep. when that hit the schoolyard, everything changed. Like you know, that was like the first of those was the Ken Griffey upper deck, and that like actually is still a really valuable card. But then everything after that was you know being like, oh man, can we be traded that Van Poppel to Dallas? What thinking? <laughs> like, and it was you know it was fine. Nobody nobody won that deal like but the. TVP, uh, as we call him in the in the, the biz, I believe, uh, like he's what I call a shadow Met, which is a guy that like went to spring training with them. There's photos of them as a Met, and then just like just retired instead of joining the <laughs> team or making the roster. There's kind of a lot of those. Uh, the yeah, Mets specialize is. in like being the last major league team you play for.
1: Well, I'll tell you, man, baseball is so hard. I mean, it's so hard to get to the majors. It's so hard to stick around the majors. I mean, it's just, it's such a a difficult sport. I love it. It's a great sport, but man, it's so difficult. And, you know, we'll wrap up with this. I just saw the news the other day, and it it, kind of hurt my feelings because the guy's been injured his whole career, and his career's probably over now. But uh, Steven Strasburg, you know, I remember him coming out of San Diego State, how fantastic he was, but can never stay healthy. That arm just couldn't go, and now it looks like his career is coming to a wrap.
0: Yeah, that story was really, I'd recommend people read it. I mean, just like if you remember how good he was. Mm -hmm. It's not like the average, you know, sort of like the way that a pitcher declines. You look at like Jacob deGrom's, like the way that things are working out for him at the Rangers. He's still great. He's just going to be great for smaller and smaller and smaller portions of the year until it's over. You know, that he'll make 10 or 15 starts maybe. Strasbourg is like in physical agony in the way that I think of like NFL retirees being mm-hmm. he had he had nerve damage and stuff relating to not like Tommy John surgery. And so that story was like he has hand pain that no one knows where it comes from. He had some surgery, but they took muscles out of his neck. Like it's all like crazy like it reads like the stories if you read about like NFL retirees from like the fifties and stuff where they didn't know how to do knee replacements, so they would just like stuff it full of gauze and like sew it back up. And it, I loved watching Strasburg when he was right, and I just sort of found myself, like, way sadder about that. I mean, I never cheered for him as, like, a guy that was on the team that I liked. But he was great, and, like, it all came and went so fast. I'm mm-hmm. glad he got his World Series, and I'm glad he got his money. You know, like, most of these guys don't. So many of the, the Mets that have, like, flamed out or, or are flaming out, in the case of Noah Syndergaard, are going to wind up with career earnings, you know, like, under what... Jacob DeGromer, Justin Verlander is going to make this season just because, you know, the way baseball economics is, you don't get paid until you're in your, you know, whatever, six, seven season. Right. And for a lot of pitchers, like by the time that happens, it's
1: already done. That pitcher, Strasburg was supposed to be the dude. He was supposed to, I mean, he was, yeah. man, he was going to be phenomenal and, just couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't stay healthy. So uh, it's that's
0: crazy it. how that like it actually worked for the Nationals. They had the first pick overall yeah. two years in a row, and they picked Strasburg and Bryce Harper. They actually got both those picks right. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, neither one of those guys had their career in Washington. That you know, at least Strasburg got to win a ring there. But
1: yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it really is. But uh, hey, this has been fantastic stuff, David Roth, defect, David Roth from the Defector. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for?
0: I mean, right now, uh, I wrote about Noah Syndergaard earlier this week. Um, I'm going to try to find some other depressing pitcher to write about uh, sometime <laughs> for next week. <laughs> I'm on a glide path to the weekend right now, so it's probably just editing for me for the time being. But, yeah, I mean, this is it's baseball season. It's pretty soon there's going to be nothing left to write about, so I should probably bank an NBA one while the getting's good, because otherwise it's just regular season American League baseball.
1: There you go, and, and the NBA season may be over sooner rather than later. It might be over before yeah. you know it, so uh, you better get it while you can. Well, David, really do uh, appreciate your time this afternoon, man. Great stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Have a good one, guys. Alright, you too, my man. There he goes. David J. Roth from The Defector on Twitter at David underscore J underscore Roth. Definitely appreciate his time this afternoon. 153 is the time. That was a fun little trip down memory lane. A bunch of guys that I hadn't talked about in quite a while I started talking about. It. remember, man, where is that guy? Remember where that guy was? Hey, remember that guy? Yeah, I remembered all those guys. Good stuff right there from David. Definitely appreciate him and his efforts. Again, I throw the question out there, 69187, keyword r What r As far as the Raiders are concerned, position of weakness, position of strength, and what do you believe their X factor or who their X factor is? Let me know. 69187, keyword R&R, and of course, 702-365-9200. Take a quick break, come back, kick off hour number three of the show. It's Raider Nation Radio 920.